All right, I think we are live. Wadki, pull hey, it up. Hey. Let's see, we got this going. Let's see, let me check. Does a chat pull up here on StreamYard as well? Yeah, you'll see the chat to the right. Okay. Okay, I yeah, think we're, we're good. Yeah, I see us on the other thing. All right. Uh, my apologies, everyone. I messed up at the beginning there. I tried to do this through OBS, took up too much of my uh, my processing power, and it just wasn't working. So now we're doing this through uh, StreamYards. Uh, to, if you're new to this channel, this is uh, We Are Investing, a channel that's dedicated on investing and personal finance. Today, we have a special guest on the channel. His name is Juan Valdez. He also hey. has a YouTube channel. Um, if On the title there, there should be a link by his name. If you click on it, you will be able to go to his channel. And then when the video is all said and done, I'll update it and I'll put a link in the video description as well. Today, we are going to be discussing many things regarding the stock market. We're going to go over many topics and hopefully by the end of this video, we are able to provide some value to you. If we are, then definitely consider subscribing to our channels, hitting that like button and spreading the videos around to your friends and families. So you just want to start off the video by introducing yourself real quickly. Yeah, my name is Juan Valdez. I've been investing, trading for over a decade. Um, I have a business background, background in upper management, used to having to evaluate companies. And it was kind of like an easy transition into the stock market. Uh, taking some classes, financial classes, and um, been, really been in every aspect of the market. I've day traded, I've traded options, I've swung trade, and I do value investing, growth investings. I know how to look at the financials, create a DCF, come up with an intrinsic value and just try to find those value plays and growth plays. So, so you're uh, you're trading full time now, right? This is your this yeah. is your job. Yeah, I mean I ha no I have a I have other business and stuff, but yeah, I yeah. do uh I do trade full pretty much full time too also. So would you consider yourself more of a a day trader, swing trader, a mixture of both and also investing as well? How yeah. would you classify yourself? I, I, the last few years I day trade and I swing trade. And then like, I take profits now and kind of put them in like long-term investments and stuff. Now, you know, when I was younger, unfortunately it's like any, any money I made day trading. If I, if I made like an extra 40, 50, 60, 70,000 at the end of the year from day trading, I would just blow it all and stuff. And I, you know, that, <laughs> that was just kind of like my youth, man. And now that I'm a little older, I got kids, I'm thinking more longevity and, uh, so I try to invest long-term stuff. Yeah. So just this like real quick to this. So like I had some, some nice investments where I, I made a decent amount of money and I'm like, dude, I just want to blow this money. Well, how can I blow <laughs> this? <laughs> let me, let me blow this on something smart. So like I've been researching like, uh, uh, luxury watches because I mean, right yeah. now things are crazy with people making like the rich are just getting richer. So they're buying these things like left and right. And and the values of them are going up. So if you had a luxury watch and you started buying them years ago, you could probably cash out for for some pretty coin right now. But it it's just like one of those things where if you buy a Rolex and it's not iced out, it's actually like a Rolex that's a limited edition one. It's discontinued. 
you you can flash that but also not lose money on it because if you hold it it, it will it should appreciate over time so you're a watch guy huh uh, a little bit yeah i got a couple watches but uh i'm i'm you know i have a family as well so it's it's a it's a it's a tough fight to to justify <laughs> buying yeah yeah something that that tells you time that costs thousands and thousands <laughs> of dollars so <laughs> it's tough but yeah it's it's better to buy that than to waste it on sneakers or something that's gonna to well some sneakers yeah, yeah. you actually might increase in value but yeah watches definitely appreciate it and stuff yeah yeah that's hey so the market has been insane uh over the last like i think we had like seven to eight straight days red on the overall stock market the major indices yeah um i don't know if you have taken a look at the technicals on the nasdaq i have um, i looked I have. okay i looked at the futures and they're pretty flat i mean futures opened at 6 p.m um what what do you what do you think is going to happen with the market like short term do you think we we uh hold that support that we saw on monday when the value was around thirteen thousand seven hundred twenty five dollars for the nasdaq yeah i saw that it bounced off that 13 7 uh 13 7 25 area it did it, it had a nice bounce and so if you look like long term right it's been on the uptrend and kind of like right in line with the fed's announcement that they seem to be hawkish and that they're open to uh i think like we had four four spikes kind of like factored in and four uh, interest spikes factored in and yeah. that was the initial down downtrend and now that they're kind of like open to five interest spikes um i think that changes a lot of dcf values especially in tech stocks and you see kind of like on january 19th that's when it broke that uptrend. Like you can you can go from like May 19th and October 5th and you see kind of like it bounces off that uptrend and it kind of broke down that downtrend and it bounced. It, it seems like it's on a downtrend now. So there's a few things I worry about. Um, I think about, you know, um, somebody's asking about history. I was about to make a point too with that. They state that the way that the market started in January, historically, when it started this low, that over throughout the year, historically, it's only had like a 6% growth throughout the year as opposed to like an, a 10, 11th that, that we've enjoyed the last few years. So I don't know. I'm, 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 I see the technical analysis. I see it was a beautiful bounce off of support, but I'm just scared that one more Fed announcement, one more hint that, you know, they're going to uh, uh, go higher with the interest rates, um, that that's just going to drop that, you know, and it's going to break that support so it's it's kind of the reason i think meet kevin and uh, you know sold a lot of his stocks because of the uncertainty yeah we're, <laughs> we're gonna talk about that in more detail um yeah we're definitely in a downtrend um yeah. the what we're going off of right now with that support they're there i mean we've been bouncing off of around so what's this value here around thirteen thousand nine hundred ish like a mm -hmm. little bit below a little bit above we bounced off that three times but the highs are lower we're setting lower highs so yeah we're we're due for a move um whether it's up or down i do not know <coughs> but I, I agree i think the market based on what i've been reading and listening to the market has around four maybe five uh rate hikes priced in now these rate hikes are quarter of a percent i mean they quarter could come in yeah, they they can come in and they could do a double in one meeting and yeah, things which, might get adjusted. 
Which wouldn't surprise me, you know, like, um, I think it was in 1980, Valcor, like he went all uh, high with interest rates to kind of like subside the inflation, like he wanted just zero inflation, Um, you know, and and I think like, uh, statistically, there's a formula where if you want to defeat inflation, the interest has to be like 2.5% or something above the inflation, which is not going to happen, you know, because inflation is at 7%. So they have to increase the uh, interest rate. They're going to have to make sure there's still GDP growth. Um, it's just a whole bunch of things that they have to do to make sure we don't fall into a recession. So, Yeah, which which is what scares me. So, I mean, I can only really speak on what I have experience with and what I what I see in my day-to-day life. And I can tell you right now that, like, I live up north. Um, it's been a cold month. Uh, my house is heated through natural gas. Natural gas has gone up quite a bit, quite a bit in... Um, it's price and it's affecting me on my energy bill every month uh, substantially, almost double what it was before. That that makes me adjust my spending habits. Also, yeah. uh, I'm looking for an, another vehicle. Um, we're growing into the vehicle that we have. is is it's it's not really ideal with a baby seat, a car seat in the back. So we're looking to get a bigger vehicle. Prices are outrageous. Uh, all of yeah. that's going to have impacts on spending and whatnot. And I think prices have gone to a point where people are going to, they got to, they're going to say, whoa, adjust their spending. And that might help inflation come down. So maybe the Fed doesn't have to increase so much. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a tough and, job. And they also have to take care of shipping and stuff. You know, there's shipping, yeah. there's like a bottleneck in shipping. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. Yeah, That's something why. came out. G- GDP growth came out to 0.1 percent. Yeah, it's it's a balance, man. It's a balance. You have to to avoid a recession. You have to increase the GDP growth. You have to control inflation. You have to take care of the supply and demand issue, right? We were, uh, you know, we were buying all these equities, and you know, we started to taper, which is a great thing. So it's it's a tricky balance act, and you know, the the supplies coming in from China and different things. We have to clear up that bottleneck. Uh, so I, you know, it's, I, 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 when I heard uh, Powell is last thing, I really didn't feel much, much more confidence after that. You know, I felt like they had some plans that they want to do this and then wait and see, do this and then wait and see, we have to be nimble, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. like a clear plan, like, you know, clear, confident plan. So, so there's a lot of uncertainty there for sure. There's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, that's for sure. And and, I mean, that's kind of his track history there. He, he uh he doesn't want to lay out he, he's going to say it's always a wait and see that when, after they raise the first time you're not going to hear from him or oh, we're going to raise another three times it's always a we'll wait and see approach yeah. uh, there's a yeah. lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of uncertainty in the uh, i mean the federal reserve's uncertain what they're going to do we don't know what's happening with the 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 ver- uh with covid and the economy right. so this is a lot of stuff going on it is uh, it is and uncertainty definitely uh is something the markets do not like that no no not at all <laughs> no that's for sure uh so andres the futures for the nasdaq i have them up on the screen right now they're basically flat we're down 0.3 percent um I, i'll pull it up on the one day one minute um from 6 p.m we kind of just we had a little we went down a little bit but nothing much we're kind of just flat here we'll see what happens these things can get moving in a hurry um but tomorrow We'll see what happens. Nothing crazy right now. Yeah. 
Um, moving on. So, so you're a trader, you, you day trade, you swing trade, and you mm-hmm. also move some of your profits into long-term investments, uh, yeah. for your shorter term trades, what are some of your, and also <laughs> I guess some of your longer term trades your swing trades, um, what are some of your favorite indicators to use? That, that's a great question. So I, I have two strategies when it comes to swing trading. So I indicator wise, I obviously, you know, I, I watch for RSI. I, I use the stochastic. I use the RSI. I use the, um, tra- so let me, let me rewind. So with day trading and my swing trading, they're pretty similar. I like to combine static and the n- dynamic indicators. So if you have like just a static indicator, right, that would be kind of just like a, a MACD or something, right? It, it, it kind of just goes with whatever the momentum is. And dynamic also takes into account the volume and candle candle formation. So I feel like I like to just have a lot of things in place before I get into a stock because I just don't want I don't want to lose any money when I trade. So to me, the perfect entry for either a day trade or a swing trade I have the, it's an uptrend on the stochastic. It's an uptrend on the RSI. I have TradeView. I have the, they have this thing called Chandelier Exit, it's CE. And it actually gives you kind of like a buy and a sell signal, which, you know, it's 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 pretty spot on with, with everything else into account. Like if a buy signal comes up and it's not on an uptrend on the stochastic or the RSI, um, it's not above a moving average, um, and then I won't, you know, I won't follow it. So, so, so- so you mm-hmm. you like getting into stocks when they're when they're on an uptrend, right? So you're not yeah. you're not trying to catch a falling knife, but uh, are you buying stocks that have had like massive dips and then they start to show somewhat of a rebound, or are you yeah. buying stocks that are yeah. just moving up and to the right? No, no, I, I I love buying stocks that have had like a massive dip. So like right now, the thing I've been trading the most is Tesla, and and sometimes you know I, I'll get into something like I'll start trading a stock and then like I feel like I'm in one with the stock, right? So, so like I've been trading Tesla and like, I'm like six for six for six in trading Tesla. Cause I, I feel like, I, yeah, that's it. So Tesla, it'll, it'll be on a downtrend, 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 downtrend. So I'll have a combination of, I'll see how it's, you know, I'll, 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 I'll put a resistance line on the downtrend. Once it breaks that resistance line, if, if it's above a moving average, if it's above, I also have like a lot of pivot uh, points, like monthly, weekly, and yearly pivot points that act as strong support. So if it's above all those three, if there's like a confluence of that, then it's also on an uptrend on our side, uptrend on the stochastic. Uh, also, maybe another positive indicator, the TTM squeeze, if it's showing that it's an uptrend on the TTM squeeze. If all these things, it's like eight things, like bam, bam, bam. I'm like, man, this is like a 90% success, like, uh, you know, uh, waiting for those. And they come, you know, they come pretty often. So that's like uh, day trading and swing trading, like my strategy. I, I balance that uh, st- static and dynamic. I, I look at all things. I look at the volume and, and everything that's increasing and price action. Cool, cool. So I know some traders like, and I do this myself, like they analyze a position. And if it's a swing trade or a short-term trade, there will it's based off of, you know, a trade can go south at any time. And yeah. as a trader, you're not going to bat 100. So there's always like, I'm willing to risk this much to make that much. Right, right. So do you have like a a like a number in mind, like I'll risk 5% to make 25% on a, on a given trade or 2% to make 8%? I mean, everybody's different. Some people don't even have this. They just go off of technicals. Um, and if, if yeah. things break, then they get out. Yeah, I look at I look at where it should bounce off of support, you know, and that's usually like my stop loss, right? Like I'll look at if, if it, if it, if it pulls back a little bit and it lands into the support where I feel comfortable, if that breaks, I'll exit. 
okay. price wise, how much that is, you know, it just, it, it depends, you know, so like for, for like some, I've been trading Tesla with options and I've been day trading Tesla with options. So like I, I'll watch it fall, fall, fall. And then I feel like it's reversing and I'll buy a same day call. So, you know, which I, that's my favorite play because the call will cost like two or 300 bucks. Right. So I'm not risking much, you know, if I lose two or 300 bucks, you know, on the account that I have, it, it does, you know, it's not bad at all. But if I, you know, if it, if it goes the way it, it, I feel like it's going to go. And then if all those factors are, are positive, like I mentioned, I feel like it's like an 80 or a percent above success that it's going to uptrend a little bit, at least five, $10. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about making, you know, three, four, five hundred bucks on a on a simple trade in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of what I've been doing lately. If I do day trade. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I do not day trade options. I love options, but I'm more of a I like theta uh, a little bit more. So I, I like selling options. I like writing options and I like using options as a hedge against my long term position. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know a lot of people that like using options for for shorter term trades because there's a, it's a, it, it, you, it's a easy way to leverage your money, but it's also yeah. extremely risky. It's not something I would recommend to somebody that's new to trading. No, no, absolutely. But you, <laughs> you made a great, great point. I, I, I love selling options also. So like if there's somebody brought up PayPal, for example, you know, I, I like PayPal. I think it's a good company. I think it's fallen so much. And like, let's say you have a price that you'd like to buy PayPal at. Let's uh, what's it trading at right now. So PayPal, I pull it up. It's down to it's down to one sixty, right? Yeah, it's at one sixty three. The ask in the after hours is one sixty three eighty. So say one sixty five. So I haven't done like I have to do like a, a DCF to see what the value is of it. But just looking like if it falls, if 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 one fifty two doesn't hold as a company, fundamentally, I like the company. You know, I, I think they're going to be around. I think there's a place for it. I think during you know during the peak of it when it was at three ten, it was way overvalued. But I think if it can fall back, for example, I like it in maybe 125 area. Now, let's say I did a DCF and it confirms based off their free cash flow, based off of their revenue, based off their debt, that, you know, that's a good value, right? 125. I would sell uh, a put at 125, right? Now, let's say it, it goes up and it's in a spike. Then I, I keep whatever the, you know, whatever the, the, uh, the fee was for the put, I keep that as a profit. And let's say it does fall to 125 and I get exercised, then I get at the, at the price that I wanted anyways. To me, that's yes. one of my favorite strategies, like, you know, especially for a stock that I like long term. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I use that strategy as well. That's called a cash occurred put. I think yes, sir. If, you, if you have a price in mind where you're, where you're certain like, hey, if I buy this thing at this price and I hold it long term, I, I, have a, I, I really do believe I'm going to make money on it. Then, yeah, you can sell those cash occurred puts. If it never happens, you're still making some money. If it does happen, then even better. Um, so yeah, that's a good strategy. I do like that. I, I use that myself personally. Absolutely. Um, so we got some more questions. Uh, so Jose is asking you what your thoughts are about energy, this sector, uh, I guess for 2022. Are you bullish on energy or not? So oil and gas or clean energy as well. Uh, I think I'm leaning more more towards clean energy plays. Um, I don't have no particular plays in place, really. Um, I don't know. I, I I haven't really focused much on energy. I think my favorite play would be more like Tesla, which I guess indirectly with their solar energy and stuff is is kind of like an energy play, I guess. 
Uh, but I don't have nothing particular for 2022 in, in energy. Yeah, I'll, I'll give my opinion on energy. So um, I think energy right now, energy has been a, a, a play that I've been talking about for a little bit. And I actually ended up selling a little too early on this because it keeps on going up. Um, but oil and gas is so I'm sh I'm showing the Brent futures right now. So ticker uh, ticker symbol four slash BZ. This is Brent crude oil. We're we're at around ninety dollars, and people are saying that we can get to a hundred dollars a barrel. I think we're getting towards that upper end right now. We are going to see somewhat of a pullback. Yeah. So I wouldn't be getting into it right now. But the way that this sector is set up with a lack of investment, but still a huge demand and need for oil and gas products, and also the pivot that these companies have done because of the pandemic. And also a lot of these stocks have a nice dividend yield. So in a market where we could only see 8% returns, and you're collecting 6% off a dividend yield on ExxonMobil. Um, these are very attractive positions that you could potentially get into. I just worry that right now we're getting towards that upper <coughs> end of the trading range and we could fall back down and that would be an entry point. So I wouldn't be pouring into this, this uh, sector right now, but it's something that I'm definitely watching for uh, another play. Oh. Um. So we mentioned earlier in this video, meet Kevin selling his $20 million portfolio. I know, I know. It, it just came out of nowhere, right? So meet Kevin's was on margin, all in on the market. And then he went from go, being all in plus margin to being all out. Uh, and then he, you know, like a couple of days later, he ended up putting $10 million. So half of his portfolio back in for short-term trades. Um, yeah. You seen this? What are your thoughts? I, I seen it. Uh, you know, honestly, my initial thought, I thought that, you know, he got called out on this like leverage. I thought like, um, you know, it's because he so he has 40 percent of his his portfolio was in Tesla yeah. and the majority of it was in tech stocks. So, yeah. you know, he took a big hit. He had to take a big hit. So I thought like uh, I thought, you know, there was like a margin call or something. But he came out and he denied that there was a margin call and he denied that he panicked. He said his quotes were that this uncertainty of Fed spikes and, you know, shipping and all that. He said it's like a nasty speed bump was the words that he used. And he said he doesn't know how long and deep uh, this dip is going to be. So his approach, he said, I sold because I wanted to lower my cost basis wash my taxes, then re repurchase some stocks. Yeah. And then he didn't end up buying some more stocks and he bought more tech or like high valued companies. Like he bought NMDM, he bought uh, SoFi, he bought I think um, Lemonade. Still, right? What? I think he bought Enphase also, right? Or uh, maybe I did. So in the video I saw, he didn't mention Enphase. Okay, but he he was long in that. He probably bought back in. I don't know. He bought like NNM, NMD, NMDM, SoFi, Lemonade. Uh, I think he's bought some more Matterport, and there were some other Shift Technologies, which is like a a car a used car company like Carvana, essentially. Okay, yeah, stuff like that, which are all trading at price to sales multiple. None of them are actually profitable. With a positive EPS and actually can post earnings to have a PE ratio. 
Yeah. Um, so those those trades were a little bit like questionable, but I mean, everybody is free to do what they want. So uh, we'll see if it works out. I was just a little yes. confused just to to sell all of it and then buy ten million dollars back like a day later. Yeah, it's it's a lot of pressure. You know, you're out there, you're the forefront. You don't, you know, you know, a lot of people are following you, uh, but you also have that confidence. You know, like there, you have that confidence. In, and, I, and I don't know. This is an assumption. So I always looked at like like a lot of these day traders, like they have like the warrior tradings and the deck. You know, these guys that, you know, they have thousands and thousands of people following, and they collect like like hundreds of thousands of dollars in 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 fees, like uh, for people following their trades. So they have like a different level of confidence. It's not like just a regular trading trade, trader trading with five, ten thousand dollars where they get into a position and you know they they put up a hundred percent of their portfolio. Like so he he's like on YouTube, he's selling these products, and uh he came out on the Coffeezilla, I think, or something, and he said that he makes anywhere from one million sometimes to three million sometimes a month just on YouTube ads, YouTube sponsors, and all that. So you know, with that kind of money making 10 to 30 million a year, you know, you, you you can get in to these riskier stocks and really not have that fear that someone else may have. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's, there's a lot of false confidence sometimes, I think. Yeah. And that's the danger thing. That's a dangerous thing is because people follow and they're not yeah. in the same situation. Uh, yeah. And, and also some of these stocks, like at least from what I've seen on YouTube, like you got to cover some of these stocks to get views and get subscribers. But a lot of these stocks that are searched by everybody and how, and rank high on the optimization and the algorithms, they're not the best stocks <coughs> to be buying. It's usually when everybody's looking at something, it's usually too late or, you right. know, and, and that, that podcast that they have him, uh, Jeremy, um, uh, you know, those four guys. Yeah. Um, they were all bullish on Shiba Inu. It yeah. was like, I was like, <laughs> It's like, was, was that for the views or did they honestly in their heart believe that? I mean, that's like a 50, you don't want to make the assumptions, but you know, it, it, I read the Shiba Inu white papers and to me, it was just clear, <laughs> clear as night. I was just like, bro, this is, this yeah, is not an investment, not an investment, man. It's just a, this is a pyramid scheme. You're, you're, there's no utility for it, right? You're buying it, hoping that somebody buys it for more, you know, there's no utility. I mean, regardless yeah. of what anybody says about Shiba Inu. So you know, like that, that kind of threw me off. Like when I saw them promoting that, I was like, oh, you know, that's. Yeah. And then, but you, you know, like you see it, you know, there's a couple, I don't want to name names. I'm not going to, but there's a couple of channels out there that talk about she knew, we knew all the time getting thousands and thousands of views. They can care less what happens with their $10,000, $20,000 investment in Shiba Inu if they're making more than that just off of YouTube. So absolutely. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So there's stocks like that. You got to be careful. Um, I mean, if you want to see which ones they are, you can try to like go on Google Trends and be like, well, maybe this is too popular. Or you can look at like a, a vidIQ or a TubeBuddy to see how the stocks rank. And then right. maybe as an investor, you you try to stay away from some of those or or you limit the amount of those that you have in your portfolio. Yeah, I, I like to like balance my long term portfolio. I like to balance it. I don't like to get into as as much as I love growth stocks. I mean, everybody loves a growth story. It's fun. I have to have I have to balance between growth stocks that I'm bullish on and value stocks, you know, where during a correction like this or maybe inflation proof stocks, you know, like where the, during a correction like this, you know, my whole portfolio isn't like taking such a big hit. You know, it's, it's a balance. You know, you want to hold your portfolio for 10, 20, 30 years. Right. Yeah. Someone someone else mentioned Ken and Grace. They they mentioned that. Yeah, I, I saw that. He's a big loss. 
Yeah, I mean, I, there, you know, or if you don't know, I'll I'll tell you off the camera. I'm not gonna name drop people because you know, at the end of the day, we're all just working and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but I, I, that's part of the struggle that I have as a YouTuber is like I don't want to just talk about these hype stocks because there's there's opportunities out there that are are way more. There's just so much better in my personal opinion. For instance, probably my biggest play of 2021 was Ford. I, I made, Ford. I try to make videos on Ford and <laughs> I would get like 500, 750, like 750 views on a video. And it would just be like, yeah, nobody, nobody wants to cares. watch. Nobody, nobody cares about Ford, man. <laughs> no. I, I was, I was like, I did a, uh, I thought I, I <clears throat> you know, cause I did videos on things that I think I'm going to enjoy. So I did a video where I wanted to just introduce someone, introduce people, how to read an income statement, how to read a balance sheet, just a basic, basic yeah. That way, you know, because right now someone opens up a 10K, 10Q, you know, it may become overwhelming. So I just wanted to like demystify it. And I did like a nice video and I did like an animation and it was like the 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 10 out of 10 ranking. You know? <laughs> it was like nobody, nobody's yeah. going to watch like an income statement uh, type of thing. So I was just like, oh. yeah, but no, that's the struggle that I have. And I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to pivot away and I'm going to focus on doing streams like this, just being here for my viewers if they have any questions and also trying to create videos that I think will will do well over a long period of time. So so stuff where you actually get value. If you don't know how to use like think or swim, how do you buy? How do you sell stocks? How do you research? How do you do this and that? Instead of talking about a particular stock, I'll still do that here and there when there's big news events that need to be uh, talked about. But Overall, I don't want to get in this habit where just like every day I'm talking about like the same stock. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like it, it's exhausting. It's not the best time. I think people it's not how people should be spending their time, at least not in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's it is a balancing act because that is how you uh, get in one, I guess, with the algorithm. Right. Like I seen yeah. a, there's another buddy of mine. He has a YouTube channel. His name is Amit. Yeah. Screw um, the algorithm. That's what, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So. So um, Amit is, he's a good YouTuber, really well-spoken. Um, and he was making videos in his first 10, 15 videos, um, you know, didn't get much views. And then he started talking about Palantir and those got like really good yep. views. Yep. And then like his next 30, 40 videos were all about Palantir, you know? Yeah, and he's dude, like, dude. His, 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 you know, he was, he grew so quickly. That's yeah. So Palantir is one of those stocks. SoFi is one of those stocks. AMC at the time is kind of dying off was one of those stocks. Um, GameStop, when that happened, was one of those stocks. They, yeah. you, get, you get these stocks that just get these crowds, right? But, I mean, you know, Tom Nash channel has grown so much. He's the biggest bull on Palantir. He has more than half of his portfolio in it. And Palantir has dropped a, a lot. He's very negative on that position i can only imagine oh yeah yeah yeah. For but sure. he's got so many subscribers he's got so many views like youtube's paying for all of that yeah you know? so yeah. but you yeah. know he he provides good value but he talks about these stocks a lot yeah he does he's bullish on palantir that's his number one number two would be tesla for him um but you yeah. know um you know like yeah you're right you know like youtube pays well um yeah so uh, we'll move on to the next. Well, kind of we're talking about these stocks. And and I'll tell you right now, we had uh, the meme stock mania uh, yeah. 
do you think that's going to continue? I, I, for me, it's I, a no. No, no way. I think <laughs> I think it's done. I don't think we're going to see anything like that in, in, in the foreseeable future. You know, number one, like I think it was a perfect storm where we had COVID shut down. We had a bunch of money coming in from the government. So the government, you know, the government was taking care of the stock market, you know, just buying equities and stuff like that. So um, I don't think we're going to have that perfect storm. Are we going to have like little spikes here and there uh, going back to the swing trading? You know, like that's I take advantage of some of those spikes sometimes. Yeah, right? So, where, so I'll buy the rumor and sell the news, um, you know, like and especially like in the medical sector, like where like that's my comfort. You know, I, I have a background in, in, in medical field and you know, where I, I can research a medical stock and really understand it and kind of get an idea if they're going to get FDA approval. And like, I'll buy it early. And, you know, those are usually my biggest gains, but they can be the biggest losses also. But um, yeah, I don't think there's going to be anything major like that, you know? Um, yeah. So my reasoning why I don't think it's going to happen is a little bit more, it's a little different. So I don't think we're going to see the main stock mania continue for much longer because of cash so i think the stimulus had a good that that did play into it with people getting money and being able to use it to to gamble on, on those stocks yeah essentially. yeah you're right you're right uh sports weren't playing but you know we're talking about inflation earlier in this video and we're seeing it being hit in all fronts car prices energy groceries and all that and that yeah. just leaves the the retail investor with less money to spend right. um and they're not they're they're gonna they're going to think twice about buying AMC and also some of these meme stocks, people already got into them. They might still be holding. They don't want to put more money into it or they took a loss. They don't want to reenter. So I think it's a, and, and smart money as well with the risk off uh, approach with the increase in rates. Think I don't think it's going to work for, for, for any longer. That's my yeah, opinion. And, yeah, you're right. And we're not like in a super bullish market where everybody, you know, like last year, all the videos that coming out, everybody that made a video, you know, like the that that's that stock will spike up. You know, everything was just super bullish. You know, nobody was wrong. Nobody was wrong. So now people are talking about video, their stocks and they're wrong. I mean, not that they're wrong. You know, they're wrong short term. You know, a lot of stuff is dropping. Uh, so so that's going to scare away a lot of investors. Yeah, I, dude, I don't know about you, but like I get so pumped right now when I see stocks falling and getting at good prices. People yes. are are upset. They're sad that their portfolios dropped. But I'm like, I'm thinking way past this. I'm like, this is where yeah. I should be buying. This is like where I should be happy. It's like I just walked into my favorite uh, store and everything has a red tag on it and everything's discounted. Everything's on clearance. And I'm just loading up my cart to walk out with a ton of stock. That's that's how I look at it. So this 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 moment, although sentiments very bearish views yeah. are down overall. I'm I'm extremely happy right now buying stocks and and thinking about it for the long term. What are you, what uh oh somebody asked that's funny somebody asked about ISRG um so what do you, I, one of my fa most favorite favorite stocks um talking about stocks that are at a discount and it has to do with that sector um robotic surgery talking about medical field this is a, obviously a risky stock it's not like a a a, a very comfortable stock where you can like a coca-cola buffett type stock it's it's obviously high risk but it's come down so much ticker symbol rbot uh this is going to be to me one of my i think 
uh, like er, like my Teslas, you know, like for other people, you know, there was a lot of people that invested in Tesla early. Yeah. Um, this is, I, I feel that I feel really, really bullish on this company. So what they do, you know, talking about robotic surgery. So right now, robotic surgery has been dominated by the Da Vinci, right? Uh, the Da Vinci came out in 2000 and they were like created seven years before that. So it's a over 30 year old machine, right? Uh, when it was created, you know, you have to think about like manufacturers and robotics, how it was at that time, but they've upgraded since. But if you think about how it works, right, it's an arm and then it's, it's like a wrist, right? So when they do an incision, they go in and they have that arm inside and the wrist has like the movement around, like, you know, it can move around like in, in different, like in six points, I think they said. So, but let's say, you know, there's like some an anatomical issues. They have to uh, unport, meaning get out of that incision and go in through another angle, right? Mm -hmm. So, so what this company did Right. And they're down a lot right now. This is, yeah, you know, I got the this, chart pulled up. So they're this, trading at $6. They were at $15 in, in September man. of 2021. They dropped to a low of 467. Yeah. I've been adding to my position. $6 is, is, I don't know. I, I feel like it's low risk. I, I feel like it's, you know, like $6, even if it went to zero, it's, it's a, it's a lot lower risk than being in a stock that's trading at 800 that drops to 500, right? Yeah. So Dude, the bid ask on this thing is crazy. The ask is $18. The bid is $5.50. <laughs> so it's very low volume, I assume. Yeah. It's low volume. It's not a popular stock. Yeah. The reason I, the reason I like it, right? So the, what they've done, um, the, the, the founder and it's him and his partner, they're MIT graduates. And what they 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 watched uh, they watched the movie uh, Fantastic Voyager. It's an old 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 movie, and in the movie, you know they they shrink a a, a doctor and put him in someone's blood vessel to get rid of a clot, right? Mm -hmm. So he was inspired by that movie. He created a robot. I mean, a, an arm that has not only wrist movement inside the body but also has elbow movement around the body, right? So it's like eight degrees of motion, and essentially the machine is small. It has those two arms and all that motion. That it's like having a robot inside your body. So now that same anatomical issue, they can they don't have to unport, they don't have to do, redo an incision, they can get around it, right? Yeah. And so that's number one. Number two, it's gonna be like half the price of the Da Vinci. So there's so many hospitals that would love to have some sort of robotic surgery device, but they can't afford it. The Da Vinci is big, it's bulky, it takes a lot of uh, uh, training. And it, you really have to build an OR around the Da Vinci. This is a small portable device that can be moved from one OR to a, an, to another OR. And then it also, training-wise, cut, is cut in half, right? Because they're going to put on VR cameras. And when they're inside the body, they just look around. And that's how they look around and yeah. make their movement. As opposed to the Da Vinci, you have to, like, step on a pedal and do some other stuff just to get movement. So it's going to be half the price of the Da Vinci. It's going to be more portable, easier to use. Uh, more effective. And then it also has some really smart investors back behind it, right? It's not just me talking about it. Uh, um, uh, Bill Gates is invested in it. Peter Yang, founder of Yahoo's invested in it. Eric Schmidt, um, he was a Google CEO at one point. He's invested in it. And so there's a, there, there is smart money behind it. Um, so the, that's some of the positive thing. Then the last positive point about this. So they're going for FDA approval in 2023, right? Yeah. Because their device is so important, and this is not FDA does not grant this to just anyone, they were granted FDA breakthrough. So FDA breakthrough is basically 
when you start going through the FDA process, your partner is the FDA itself. They're going to help you go through the FDA approval process. They don't grant this to just anybody. They're going to be the first robotic surgery company to be granted this. Um, so I, I, for all those reasons, I'm, this is, uh, to me, the biggest play I I'm, you know, at $6 getting in at this point, I feel like in 2023, it should be trading triple or quadruple, uh, quadruple that, you know, once, especially once they get FDA approval and, and get closer yeah. to that. Yeah. So that the stock has dropped a lot, but what I really want to talk about is two things that you mentioned, right? You talked about smart money, who's backing it what kind of investors are buying. That's one thing that I do look at when I invest in stock. But but more important than that, before you you actually started talking about the ticker, you you said that you have a history in medical devices. You understand the FDA process. So so you're buying what you know. Yes. You have a yes. good understanding of it. So you're investing in things that you understand. There are so many stocks out there that and I get asked questions on stocks all the time that I just I don't personally understand the business model. I, I don't know this field. So I feel very uncomfortable that I ultimately decide not to buy it. So yeah. you you one one of the most important things when investing is you have to understand the product and the company. If you use it even better, but if you can at least understand it, that's that's huge. If you can understand it. There are millions of stocks out there. Move on, find a different a one. Absolutely, Be because you know uh, this is not a, obviously a value play, right? Yeah. Um, I like four months ago I did a DCF on Intel, and Intel is is not the most exciting company compared to uh, AMD, Nvidia, and all that. But I felt like it was undervalued, um, and they have a history of positive revenue. They've control of their debt. Their new management that they have is great. You know, the I forgot her name, uh, but, you know, the, she you know, I feel like she's going to come in and help and do so well. So that was a pure value play because you can you can see what they're doing. You can see their success. This yeah, company hasn't this, this company hasn't sold one product yet. You know, so it's a it's a yeah. big risk. You know, what I mean, <laughs> yeah, just to yeah. understand the difference. Yeah, I think there's a couple of stocks that are like your typical value plays that a lot of people buy. Intel's one of them. I, I personally own Intel. But then like you also get like Alibaba and some other, those are your like typical, everybody agrees that they're undervalued, but yet yes. the stock doesn't, doesn't really move. Uh, it, and, and that's the danger with value stocks. Like you have to, in my opinion, at least when you get into a value company, you have to f see a, a reason or a path where they can change the story and start growing again a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Because value stocks are at value for a reason, you know they're not they're not doing things like they should, and that's why the stock market's not re rewarding them. Um, so there's that fine line. Like even though it's undervalued, what's what's the thing that's going to change it? If you can identify the undervalued part and identify the the path towards growth or whatever the thing needs to happen is, then then it's it's worthwhile. And for me, Intel fits both of those. So yeah. even though I'm down on position, I keep on adding to it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was, it. I was, uh, that was funny. Somebody brought up ISRG. Um, yeah. Yeah. ROBT is, is my favorite stock of this year. Uh, that's, that's my most bullish stock. I was invested in a company that did robotic surgeries for spine, uh, Globus medical. They're very local to me. They're like, like 15, 20 minutes down the road. I ended up end selling. It was more of a swing trade, um, but the uh, 
there is growth there. And um, part of the reason is because of the pandemic and, and elective surgeries being put off. Right. So we could see a lot of, and that's why I think a lot of uh, smart analysts are calling the healthcare sector one of the best sectors for 2022 is we, we should see a lot of those elective surgeries come back. Um, what, what was the ticker on that one? Is, is G, uh, Globus Medical is G-M-E-D, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So the stock, let me, uh, let me pull it up real quick. So the stock was at $84 back in September. It's trading at 63, but it's still, I think, somewhat of an uptrend. If you take a look at the weekly, it's more in the lower range. Um, this company is actually selling products. Uh, they have, I f see, I'm not very familiar with this sector. I forget the name of their device, but it's robotic surgery for spine. Okay. Uh, yeah, if you, if you have some time later, you could take a look at it and let yeah, me know what you think. Yeah. RBOT is more for the abdomen, uh, hernias and stuff like that. They're uh, more competitive with the like Da Vinci and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know what you think about this. You, yeah, you probably sure. understand it a little bit more than I do. Um, all right. So you're so that's one of your favorite plays for 2022. Do you have any others? Tesla, man. I, I love Tesla, man. Still... Like uh yeah, I still love Tesla no matter what. Like um, <laughs> I just think you know, and I don't really talk about Tesla much because there's like a thousand videos on Tesla. Mm -hmm. But I do I do think they are a once in a lifetime generational type company. You know, I think just like I recently did do a video on it <clears throat> and I did a DCF and um, into the DCF. I wasn't as bullish as everybody else where they're expecting 20 million vehicles in whatever many years that, they're, you know, I, I think that's a little unrealistic. I don't think they're going to produce 20 million vehicles, being that in the United States alone, we produce about 20 million vehicles. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did do like 10 to 15 million vehicles. I did do like uh, um, their solar. I did do if they were successful with the robotic um, uh, automotive industry. I compared like the fees that are collected by Uber and like gave them a small percentage share of that. And my DCF, you know, over the next obviously decade or whenever it works out, is is I feel like it should be trading at two thousand if all those things come into play. Like right now, just with their solar, if they get to you know increase their vehicle sales, um, and if they get into autonomous robotics, I know this year they're not going to have the Cybertruck and the cheaper car model, uh, but hopefully the year after that, you know, um, they will. I think it should be trading at two thousand. So. You know, as it dips more and more, I, you know, I like to increase my position. So Tesla is still one of my favorite plays. I, I like Tesla. I think Tesla's great. Nice, nice. So you got, you got um, RBOT and Tesla. Uh, you want to give me one more top three and then I'll let you know what my top three are? Uh, top three and in uh, Intel too. I, I think Intel, you know, I, I am bullish on Intel. I've been invested in Intel for a long time. Uh, and the new female CEO, uh, the new CEO that just took over, I think she's going to turn things around. You know, one of the, I, I don't care how good a company is. I always look at management. Management is a big deal to me and I have to believe in their vision. I have to believe that they, you know, I have to look at that they've had previous success. And, um, so I, I, I'm still holding Intel and I think those are the three that I'll, I'll focus on the most right now. Okay. Yeah. I'm an, I'm an Intel, but I don't know. I don't think 2022 is going to be. Uh, a remarkable year for them. Maybe, maybe later down the road. I, I do like what they're doing um, with uh, the change in management and also the change in direction that the company's taking. 
focusing more on foundries and actually making chips on a on a North American soil, which I think is yeah. huge because we uh, we get most of our chips made from Taiwan Semiconductor over in Taiwan, which will who knows what will happen with them in China. Um, getting into political things, we'll talk about the Ukraine situation later in this video as well. So I think long term foundries are huge for the semiconductor sector and Intel is working on that. So that, that, that could be really good for them. Uh, top three for 2022. Uh, my number one stock is going to be Ford, even though Ford. the stock's up a decent amount. I just think we have a lot of catalysts coming up um, within the next couple of months. So yeah. the F-150 lightning release in spring is going to be a huge catalyst. I think that that vehicle is going to be received very well. I mean, the F-150 has been the number one sold vehicle for the longest time. Yeah. And I think as we switch over to EVs, that's still going to be a very popular vehicle. It's also iconic for Ford in their switch to EVs. Ford's actually selling EVs now with the Mach-E. Um, so they're one of the only legacy companies that have like a legit EV out there besides the Chevy Bolt, which nobody likes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that that's one catalyst. Also, their their investment in Rivian early on um, has been very successful. So they're yeah. currently in a lockup right now, just through the traditional IPO process. They can't sell their stake until that lockup expires, which is after the second earnings for um, Rivian. But it's around, depending on what the market cap for Rivian is, it can be an eight to ten billion dollar stake that they pull out. Oh wow! Eight, yeah, that's that's essentially what Rivian got for going public. That's how much money they received. So that's a lot of money. That's that could be factories, that can be battery development, yeah. that can be battery factories, that could be long term contracts with some of uh, some of your supply chain which is going to be really important for EVs. Where, where are you going to get your lithium from? Where are you going to get your graphite from? Where are you going to get your silicone from? Your, your cobalt, your nickel, all of these things that need to be, you need to secure. Well, you yeah. can sign a long-term contract like General Motors did with uh, MP Materials to try to shore up that uh, supply chain as well. Mm -hmm. So that selling that stake, I think, is a huge catalyst for it. You also have the transit ban. So I think you got three catalysts coming up with Ford that could propel the stock higher if the market uh, does rebound a little bit. Yeah. So that's one stock. Another stock that I think is going to have a really good year in 2022 is Uber. We talked Uber. about investors, what investors are doing. We also, I also take a look at what management is doing. So the biggest, one of the biggest bull signs for me as an as an investor when you're investing in a company is when management actively buys their stock the reason why i think this is so bullish is because they get compensated in stock anyways yeah so then if they're using some of their own money to buy more stock on top of the stock that they get for being ceo cfo ceo just being part of the company it's extremely bullish that's like let's say i was to get paid in bitcoin and then I worked for Uber or I did, I drive, I drove for Uber, got some cash and I bought more Bitcoin. Like, I'm just right, buying, right, right. you know, I'm just doing more and more of the same thing. So the CEO of Uber bought a bunch of shares. Valuation for Uber is very attractive to me when you compare it to Lyft and uh, they got the uh, 
Uber Eats and the Uber mobility business, and both yeah. of them are growing. So I think there's a little bit of a valuation play there as well. And also huge catalyst with um, Uber has been a, a publicly traded company for a couple years now. The stock's trading at, I believe, below IPO levels. But yet this year coming up, it seems almost 100% sure that they are going to finally post profitable adjusted EBITDA. So that, that could be a catalyst that could get more investors in it. And also we can take a look at the growth with the rebound, with the variant kind of dying down and how we, we move on into the summer of 2022. So that's, you got uh, Ford and Uber. And then the next stock, um, there are many stocks that I can put at number three, but at the top of my, like right now, I'm going to say PayPal. PayPal. Yeah. The stock's been cut in half. It was at, $310. Three hundred and ten dollars. It's at one sixty-five. It hit one forty, I believe. But uh, I like PayPal because with inflation, it, it actually doesn't impact their business, right? Because they're just based on a fee. So if if the go- the cost of good goes up, the fee remains the same at three point five or whatever percent it is. They just collect more money. Also, I think that Venmo thing could be huge for them and be a catalyst, and you can get some more traders into it. So yeah. those are my three. Yeah, and I, I like PayPal too. I, I I read somewhere that if someone has PayPal in their basket, like with online uh, e-commerce, that there's like I think a sixty something percent more chance that they're going to purchase whatever the product is and stuff. Yeah, it's a toss up between PayPal and Disney, but oh, Disney, Disney's killing it with their streaming, man. They yeah. just started, and they just started streaming, and it's like a kind of like a beta, you know, like they're just starting. And man, they're killing the streaming service. Yeah, Disney, Disney's good company. Yeah. But I think all three of those are companies that we all know of. They uh they've been around for a good amount of time. Disney's been around forever. Ford's been around forever. Uber is relatively newer and in when you compare it to Ford and, and Disney and PayPal, same, but still companies that've been around for a decent amount of time that I think will will look really good moving forward and i think 2022 could be a good year for those yeah for sure i think i think one rule of thumb you know like especially with inflation so high you know if you're going to invest in companies think about inflation and if a company is can raise their price and you still think you'll buy that product then then maybe more than likely you know it's it's a decent inflationary type company you know right like supermarkets and banking and and healthcare uh, even streaming services. I mean, they've raised streaming services, and people aren't dropping their streaming services. I mean, I, except for Netflix, but yeah, um, <laughs> still good growth though. From it's just you know, you get into the law of large numbers. You know, a company gets yeah. so big, it, it it's hard to sustain that kind of growth. Right. Like you, you look at Apple, like they're not they're 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 such a big company, their growth isn't crazy, but yet yeah. it still gets really good treatment from the stock market. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Growth isn't everything. It's it, it's important, but some companies the stock price can grow more than the growth of revenue. Yeah, and th- and there is a point to sometimes where those growth companies become mature, and you don't get to see that type of growth like before. You know? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, so I, so, I, 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 yeah, I seen three questions about the to keep asking about the Russian Ukrainian war stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm gonna be completely honest. Like I don't follow that stuff very closely, uh, yeah. Because I, I, I can't. 
I'm so busy looking at the stock market, looking at individual companies that I can't get into politics because there's this, you know, you could read one article online, but I feel like there's just a history of politics between Russia and Ukraine that you have to understand to yeah. fully understand the situation. And I just don't have the time to dedicate to all that. So, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I briefly, I, I don't know much. I mean, I'm not too in depth with it. I, I would say like, I think it stems from, you know, Russia before 1990, right? They were like a big superpower, right? And after they, they weren't as strong as they used to be, a lot of the surrounding countries, like whatever stands in Georgia and all, all these different countries, you know, they, they made it, they said they made an agreement with some of the big power states that these countries, as long as they don't join NATO, you know, this is an agreement that we want to have. And I think when that, I think that was one of the first wars when they, when they attacked Georgia was because Georgia was going to join NATO. Um, so this is kind of like similar to that. I think Ukraine wants to be a part of NATO and, you know, they, they're kind of like flexing. So they have their, their, their soldiers on the border, but I don't, I don't think, you know, Russia, the Russia doesn't have the strength like before. I don't think like, uh, I think, you know, now the government, you know, the whole world's watching, you know, like as opposed to Georgia, they kind of like just let, you know, pretty much let them attack. I mean, it wasn't like, uh, uh like now I think, they're watching now because because of Georgia incident when Russia, you know, attacked Georgia, I think that they're being watched more closely. So I don't think they're going to be uh, I don't think they're going to be they're going to attack Ukraine. I really think it's just a lot of flex. They have their soldiers there, but they know that the whole world will step in like, you know, well, you know, the United States and Europe will step in if they do attack. So it's not like before. So I, I don't think anything's going to happen. I think they're just flexing. So that's that's kind of like my opinion with that. Yeah, we've been through this before. I don't think anything's going to happen. If it does, the market's obviously going to drop, but I think it's a viable dip. Yeah. Um, so that's my opinion on that situation. So we got a question. Do you have ETFs in your long-term portfolio? If you were to open a position as a 35-year-old, what would be a good place to start? Um, do you want to answer that? And then I'll, I'll touch yeah, on that I, as well. I, I like if, if I was 35, um, I would... Um, I would mix it up. I'll put like maybe uh, 50% in ETFs and maybe like the VU and the SPY, uh, smaller position, maybe on the QQQ. Uh, then I'll have a certain percentage, maybe 10, 15% on, on some REITs. And then the rest I'll have like on some growth stocks, kind of like the Apples and Teslas and Microsofts. And I'll diversify that way. And then, you know, so with, with that type of portfolio where you're not exposed you know, if you're just talking about a portfolio where you don't have to, and I'm talking about the person that doesn't want to be super active, you have that portfolio and you just put 20% of your, re, uh, you know, your revenue, I mean, your, your salary or whatever, whatever you can spare, you know, every check, just keep adding. That's the portfolio I would have. I would have like a mix of, let me two or three ETFs between the VU, the VOO and the, uh, the, the, you know, the SPY and the QQQ, and then a reader, one or two REITs and then growth stocks and just put money into that every check and not worry about it until like I'm 60 years old or something. Hopefully, hopefully after 20 years, 25 years, you start seeing that major compound growth. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, ETFs in my long-term portfolio. So, I mean, it depends on your situation. Um, I work for a company. I have a 401k. My first recommendation to you, if you were in that situation, would definitely take advantage of that company match. It's free money. And you're going to get a lot of exposure through mutual funds, index funds, and different sectors through your 401k. So that's that's 
one long-term investment account you have. If you do have that, then you can reduce the amount of ETFs that you have in your taxable account where you're trading and buying individual stocks. Um, if you don't have a 401k, then you should definitely open up a Roth IRA and you should do the things Juan mentioned. You should have those, those sectors. You should have those ETFs, those REITs or REITs or however you want to pronounce mm -hmm. them. Um, then as let's say you do have your 401k and you have your taxable account, you're buying individual stocks, you can have ETFs. And there's actually a nice little tax advantage to having ETFs. Um, if they're sector specific, so or even not like you can buy the VOO or you can buy another ETF that follows the S&P 500, like the SPY. Right. If the stock market was to drop one year, let's say five, 10 percent, you could sell that VOO, take advantage of that tax loss for your taxes and buy the SPY instead. You're just mm -hmm. transferring over from one ETF to the other. It's not a wash sale. Um, so you can get those losses, help with your taxes, but still hold the same amount, the same companies essentially. So it's a cool thing to do. Um, but personally, if you have your 401k, you can do individual stocks and you can swing trade ETFs and sectors that you like. We mentioned oil and gas and how that could be bullish. Well, you could, instead of buying an individual stock, say you don't feel comfortable analyzing one stock, but you think the whole sector as a whole is going to move in one direction. You can trade an ETF instead. Um, so it, it's a great tool, um, but everybody's case is different. That's the hard thing with giving advice. This isn't financial yeah. advice, by the way, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, but everybody's different. One, one silver lining is, uh, let's say you're in your 20s, right? And let's just give an example. If you had, let's say, $100,000, just to just to understand on a broad basis how important it is to at least do something, you know, uh, whether it's a 401k or anything. If you had, let's say, $100,000 in, in your 20s and you just put it in the bank and if you look at it 30 years later with inflation, that 100000 is probably going to be worth 50000 right? Now, if you took that same 100000 and invested it in an ETF that gained, let's say, t uh, was 10% a year, for 30 years, it's $1.8 million that you would have gained. So just understand that that's how important it, it's, it, it's important to do something with your money, especially if you're in your twenties, if you can afford to put 200, 300, 400, whatever money every month, just diversifying and getting started and doing that, you know, maybe the first 10 years, it may not look like a lot. The second uh, 20 years, it looks, looks, start looking good. But after 20 years, 25 years, that compound growth uh, of that amount, you're going to start seeing major, major gains, uh, regardless if it's, a you know, the, that year, let's say, like, let's say this year, let's say a SPY is only grows 6%, you know, that that same example of the 100,000, it won't be 1.8 million, even if it grew 6% every year, which historically it doesn't, it'll probably be somewhere like 1.1 million, but it's still, it's a big difference than losing $50,000 in inflation. Yeah. Time in the market beats time in the market as an investor. So the longer you have money in the market, the the better your chances are. And most likely the more money you're going to make, especially if you can dollar cost average and, and buy throughout a longer period of time. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, if you guys have any questions down in the chat before we log off, please bring them in now. Um, before we sign off, Juan, is there anything else you would like to say? And um, if you want to Give yourself like a quick plug for your channel and what you have yeah. to offer. Feel free to yeah, do yeah. so. 
Okay. Yeah. So this was fun. I enjoyed, definitely enjoyed talking to you. I've been watching you for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and, and I enjoy your YouTube channel. I think you bring great positive content. So it's great to be pairing up here and doing this. Um, I, I, I don't depend on YouTube at all. You know, this is all fun. I love doing it. I like, I actually enjoy it. Um, and you know, I also, um, I am having a, a like a free day trading course starting next month, uh, February. Well, February, uh, we're already in February, just about. So February 12th, uh, on Saturday, it's, it's, it's going to be equal to if you were to buy a big package that costs $4,000 of day trading courses and all that I've taken those courses. I feel like, you know, I'm going to be providing the same quality and it's going to be free. You know, even if you pay two or $3,000 for one of those courses, they're pre-recorded. I'm going to be doing the same type of course free um, every Saturday for like the next four or five weeks. And I'm going to have a few guests. You know, one one of the guests is uh, this guy's name, uh, Nar Trader. He's he's a millionaire day trader. He, I, I know he's made millions day trading. He's very successful. Um, you know, hopefully if we can have maybe Sean for one of the one of the classes, not to put him on the spot here uh, <laughs> or yeah, like maybe on. just yeah, good, good, good. Maybe like a swing trading lesson or, you know, something like that. Uh, so just a couple different guests. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I just want to provide good quality content and be a benefit to the people. And as far as uh, SoFi, I, I have like kind of a more uh, temporary bearish case towards SoFi. So I'll let Sean speak on it um, more. I, I'm not well, fully convinced yet with SoFi. I, what's I, your I bearish like, case? I love to hear it. Um, I felt like just like, number one, like, you know, they're not FDA back. I mean, like the F I'm not sorry, not FDA back. They're not backed. You know, their, their FDIC. money is not FIC secured. Number one, that was the, you know, the first thing. Um, and I haven't looked at them in a while, but when I first looked at them, um, I, um, that was the first issue. Um, I felt like, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't really understand what they were going to bring. I felt like they were trying to do too many things at once. They're going to do loans. They're going to do this. And I feel like you, you kind of have to specialize in one thing and then grow after that. I don't know. I, I just like, I'm, I'm not fully convinced yet. I just feel like it's too early. I need to see a little bit more, uh, uh, growth before, before I, you know, I become bullish on SoFi. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think SoFi is an interesting stock. It's an interesting company, but I want to talk more about the stock in this case. Um, we mentioned earlier in this video, how some stocks are your hype stocks and, yeah. and, and they get a lot of attention. Well, SoFi definitely fits that category. And because so, you you get a lot of implied volatility options. So there are ways to make money through trading options with SoFi. And that, that's where I've, I entered into it. You know, I bought yeah. some, some leaps. I was able to sell covered calls, but I'm able to make a couple percent every couple of weeks just by selling covered calls. I could also sell those cash occurred puts, get some nice premium. And, and and make money that way. Also, there was a lot of like catalysts uh, coming up with SoFi that could create like a shorter term pump as well. And that's probably why those options were going for so high because people thought, oh, the banking chart is going to get here. Once they get the banking chart, this thing is going to go to the moon, 20x, yeah. you know, <laughs> you, you hear that kind of talk. We got the banking charter. Unfortunately, it wasn't really during the best time of the market. So there was a pump, but it was very, it didn't last very long. And it wasn't a very, uh, a, it wasn't a very big, it wasn't a big increase in the share price. Yeah. You also have the, uh, the, the um, Super Bowl coming up and you have right. student loans coming. They could, the pause could end. Uh, SoFi 
because of those volatilities and all those catalysts, if you're going to get into a position and you know how to use options to hedge and make money, I think it's a great tool to do so. It's one of the stock itself is a tool to make you money. As an investment, it's still iffy. You know, it's it has a lot of long term potential, but it needs to get there. And it trades at a price of sales multiple. It could fall much lower. So there's a lot of risk implied with it. But if you know how to use those options, that helps offset some of that. So it's it's one of those stocks where, like, I think as a new investor, it's probably not one of the best positions to get into. But if you are more of a sophisticated investor, you have some more experience. I hate to say this, but you can kind of reap the benefits of all of the new investors coming in and and buying call options that are short term out of the money. So it's like, you know, so, yeah, I and I, I didn't look at it that way. I, I didn't see the benefit of it. I didn't look at it short term. I was kind of like I, I kind of like scan through stocks, stocks that are getting used. And I have like just a because there's so many companies, right? where I'll just have like a few things that I look at different ratios, the sector. And if those things don't like scream out to me, I'm like, okay, I'm bearish on it or, or whatever. I'm neutral and just go on to the next one. Yeah. So, you know, so far was one of those things where it wasn't nothing that wowed me, but somebody maybe that just, you know, like comes from that sector, maybe they looked at it and, and they can say they, you know, that, Oh, this is no, this is going to change it. Just like people like Palantir. Like at first I, I didn't get the big hype, and then, you know, I started seeing people that are in that field talk about it. And I was like, okay, maybe there may be something there. But Tom Nash yeah. also likes SoFi, by the way. Um, uh, yeah. he, he is bullish on SoFi. Yeah, I saw that. There, So, like, you know, I mean, I was invested. I, I had a trade on AMC back in the day, like way before the squeeze. And, like, I made money off of those call options. I had an AMC and GameStop. Part of me, like now knowing what I know, is I wish I kept some of my options and actually took shares at these ridiculously low prices so that I could just sell options against them because I had no idea the option market was going to be the way it is. With all these (laughs) new retail investors buying these crazy options, you can make money and essentially have no risk. For instance, people were you could sell a covered call on AMC back when it was pumping for like a hundred fifty dollar strike price. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Like, who's buying these call options? Well, yeah. somebody is, so you can sell them. And like, it's just like crazy that that the market works that way. But if if people are going to be foolish and buy crazy options, I will sell them to them. Like, <laughs> it's how it is. So there are some stocks that are like that, and those are more of your hype stocks. Yeah, I mean that, that's what I love about the market. There's just so many opportunities. I mean, like you know, uh, some people just like growth stocks some people like uh like talking about me kevin um um you know buffett and uh what's the name uh warner no peter Thiel. yeah Pe- no not peter Thiel. for oh, no lynch 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 oh, said like uh yeah lynch said like trying to trying to buy time the market right like kind of what kevin did is like cutting cutting flowers and then uh watering the weeds or something like that you know it's just like as like the, there's there's just some people like they're true true way of investing value investing is just buying finding these value stocks and just buying into them and not worrying about it and that's such a stress-free way of doing it i mean it's really really you know you don't have to worry about anything you don't worry about the fluctuations you just have your few companies that you believe in 
Uh, but that's not for everybody. You know, maybe like, you know, I, I love this stuff, the stuff that you're talking about, you know, just the options, short trade. I mean, it's fun for me. I enjoy it. You know, yeah. it's like it's like watching a sports match, you know, like I, I love <laughs> getting into it. Uh, yeah. So so everybody has their 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 niche in the market, you know. Yeah, that's for sure. Everybody, you got to figure out what works for you and then yeah. just go with it. Yeah. So we've been live streaming. Uh, so this was supposed to start at eight. <laughs> started like eight thirty because I was having technical issues and we've been live for an hour and 11 minutes. So we're going to we're going to wrap it up. Um, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming no on problem. here. Uh, you know, I will go on your show. Just reach out. We'll set a date. Yeah, and uh, absolutely do that. Um, also, feel free, everyone. Uh, that's been watching this video to subscribe to Juan's channel, subscribe to my channel. If you haven't already, um, we're going to do talks like this every Sunday with a guest, hopefully every, every week where we'll go over tips and tricks for, for newbies in the stock market. We'll also talk about stuff like we did today, particular stocks and whatnot. And then I'll do live streams solo throughout the week and give you some other video content as well. So if you're interested in that, make sure you ring that notification bell so your uh, YouTube will notify you. Also hit that like button to help with the YouTube algorithm. Um, I thank you all, every, every viewer out there for watching. I thank you for participating in the chat. Um, until the next video, um, I, just, I just wish everyone a good week. Hopefully the stock market is green. Hopefully we can make some money. And yes, I'll catch you all on a later date. Juan, you got anything to say or that's uh, adios? Are we, are we ending with that Cuban music and, and putting the, the 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 hand in the uh, camera, man? I I can't because I'm live. How do I edit it? <laughs> no, I know. I'm just I'm just messing with you, yeah, man. man. I don't know. Oh, wait, I, I've wait. never done I've never done that. I'm just yeah. So that. hold on. Before we sign <laughs> off, a little a personal question for you. So you're part Cuban, right? Uh, well, no, no. Okay, so my dad is from Panama. My mom is from Spain, right? Okay. But I grew, I grew up in Jersey, and the city that I grew up in is called Union City. Yeah. And it was actually the second most when I was growing up. I don't. I think the demographics has changed now. But when I was growing up, it was the second most Cuban populated city in America after Miami. So yeah. everybody was either going to Miami or they were going to Union City. So I grew up around Cubans. Like my aunt, she was married to a Cuban guy. And like I was just surrounded by Cubans. So I was immersed in the Cuban culture. And then yeah. I had family in Miami, too. So every summer I would go to Miami. So I'm very well aware of the Cuban culture, uh, all the Cuban food, you know, papa rellenas and, you know, medianoche sandwiches and, yeah. you know, the, the black beans and rice mix and, you know, all that stuff, man. I, I love all that stuff. So, no, I'm not Cuban, but I have a my uncle's Cuban. Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet. What's your favorite Cuban dish? Uh, when I was younger, I used to love croquet, croquetas. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, yeah. And then the medianoche sandwich. Um, I don't really mess with swine now. So, you know, I just like uh, I, if I go to a Cuban restaurant, I'll just get like rice, black beans and like uh, like a, a bistan panisado type of steak, you know, like a breaded yeah. steak type of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, and some, you know, I love that, man. No, that's awesome, dude. All right. I, I do have to get off now. My camera's yelling at me. The battery's about to die. So <laughs> I'll catch you all on the next video. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Take yeah. care. Thank you. Yeah.